0: And welcome to Women at Warp, a Star Trek podcast. Join us in our continuing mission to explore intersectional diversity in infinite combinations. I'm Sue, and thanks for tuning in. In today's very special supplemental episode, I'm going to be talking to Allison Simoneau, who is CEO, founder, and designer at Rock Love Jewelry. If you follow us on social media, you may have seen at back at the beginning of October during New York Comic Con a tease about a new Star Trek collection dropping from Rock Love. And that has happened. That is the Crystal Delta collection, which is available now. And they're honestly, absolutely gorgeous. Uh, So I'm going to be talking to Allison about her inspiration, becoming a jeweler, her time with Star Trek, working with Star Trek, designing for the show. Uh, It's all here in this episode. So I hope you enjoy it. Allison, thank you so much for taking the time to come on our show.
1: Thank you for having me. Uh Star Trek is one of the most near and dear to me of fandom, so so excited to be joining
0: Women at Warp. So you you got right to the point. I always like to start by asking our guests, what is your history with Star Trek? Tell me about your your early fandom, how you came to the franchise.
1: So for Rock Love, I've been doing it about 15 years now. Started in 2007. But Star Trek has always been one of my core initial fandoms. It was pretty much one of the very first that I ever experienced at about seven years old as an earliest memory of of what it means to be a fan of something, what it means to experience another world uh, my mother is an emergency room doctor and she went back to medical school when I was about seven. And my father, who's a scientist has been a long time Trekkie and he would watch Star Trek at night when she was doing overnights. Uh, and because she was gone, she, he would allow me to sneak down and watch Star Trek episodes with him. And it was usually next generation. Uh, though I've certainly seen throughout, but it does mean that Captain Picard became one of my personal heroes at a very early age. I just thought that he was elegant and poised and sophisticated and a perfect example of a leader and then I also really equated him with my father, who is a uh, quiet academic and like Picard, you know it's it's unusual, he's relatively inflappable but when uh, when you overstep, my goodness, it's it's shocking. Um, so from there, uh, it, it really had nothing to do with Rock Love, but in t- uh, 2014, 2014 was when I got a cold call from CBS inquiring if I was a Star Trek fan because they had seen some of my other work. Specifically, they cited uh, work that I had done with Clive Barker Um, who uh, is from Hellraiser. And uh, they had seen a collaboration of jewelry I had done with Clive and wanted to know if I would be interested in doing a signature collection for them for Star Trek. And I was like, absolutely. You don't understand. This is my first, very first fandom. I would love to. And uh, that really was the big step into uh, this bigger world of you know, a uh, home recognized uh, name, blue chip licensing.
0: And that was the collection that had the the Enterprise ring, right?
1: Yes. Uh, so 2014 was the first collection. It became the Star Trek by Rock Love Halo line, which uh, was also my first real Halo line, where it was this formal collaboration between me and the studio and uh, it, all of the pieces had... Custom packaging and branding that um I was able to develop. So it was a very special step in which they trusted this one-woman jeweler that at that point I was making every piece by hand from my home. So they really took a risk and and invited an artisan to work with them. And um I had the uh the little phaser and it said kill on one side and stun on the other. So I would joke that. You would wear it whichever way out, depending on, you know, maybe how much coffee you found in that that morning. Um, (laughs) There was the yes, the docking enterprise ring. It was two pieces that stacked and kind of clipped together. And then the two pieces would separate uh, as if it was undocking. And then um, other various pieces, there was an intro stacker ring set that had three rings that uh, had the full intro um, quote when worn all together. Uh, so various pieces then in 2016, I did another collection and that was for the 50th anniversary. Uh, so there was new pieces added to the collection, including the Idic and, uh, a Vulcan script necklace that was very well liked. And then we even did some golden diamond versions that we, uh, debuted at Mission Con and by that point we was me and my currently CXO Lulu who uh you know we were kind of like the two little musketeers at that point um but uh we worked very hard and were this small mighty team and then I had a couple of production assistants to help me make and ship things from home but uh the entire time it was always with this dedication to the quality and the materials and the craftsmanship because it was so important to me to represent this fandom that I had loved my entire life.
0: I have one of those Vulcan script necklaces in the other room and I think it's still one of my favorite pieces. I was very proud
1: of the Vulcan script necklace because I did my own translation and I even found some people online to separately do their translation, so I could compare notes because it is the Shan, which is the infinite um, diversity and infinite combinations in Vulcan, and I wanted to check my math <laughs> before I possibly was told that it was incorrect. Star Trek, they had a team; they have a team that reviews accuracy. Uh, especially when it comes to Romulan, Klingon, and uh, Vulcan languages. And I am excited to be expanding on that collection in the new year. Oh, that's exciting. I'm dropping a a big hint.
0: I want to take a step back, if I can, and ask
1: how you became a jeweler. Definitely. That was a surprise, an unplanned uh, career move. I originally was um, at Oberlin College. And I was also doing violin performance. I was doing psychology uh, and art, art history. And I thought maybe I would be a expressive therapist so that I could continue to follow passions of dance and movement and art and um, find some kind of academic career because I was raised by doctors and scientists. So I thought that academia was my future, but it wasn't until I had a horrible jewelry allergic reaction. I have a a metal allergy, very sensitive skin. And I had gotten a beautiful golden diamond nose ring that I thought was safe because it was expensive quality. And it turns out I was allergic to it and had to go to a uh, piercing and tattoo salon to get it cut out of my nose. It was very traumatizing. And so I decided that I would change careers Learn how to lost wax cast and create my own metals from scratch so I could trust the quality and what was going into it. So I did a apprenticeship in Florence, Italy, uh, since my school did not have any jewelry program. And, um, and the, the, the college was, uh, flexible enough to accept apprenticeship work and then allow me a independent study after I returned to really complete my, uh, degree when they didn't have a program for it. And then I moved to New York city for the diamond district and the jewelry industry, which is, uh, one of the hubs of the U S, uh, metals and precious metals and jewelry industry. And that's kind of where I started getting my feet wet in the industry and learning, uh, the business side behind what I had learned in the craftsman
0: side. And so you were working at this started rock love in 2007
1: yes 2007 is when i thought of the company trademarks the name i dropped the first collection in 2007 and then on my birthday march 30th of 2008 i went full-time with the company and it was always creating both uh collections that were just inspired by history and historical techniques and world travel but I was also pretty immediately collaborating with other artists, musicians, authors. And uh, that's where the name Rock Love came from. Because before, when I was in this uh, performance industry with violin performance and dance, uh, a Rock Love was two artists that were mutually inspired by each other. So maybe it was a dancer and a musician or a musician and uh, some kind of performer, performance artist. Uh, and they would collaborate and create something together. So Rock Love has always had the DNA of collaboration. And right away, I started creating pieces with charities or artists, uh, authors that we were both fans of each other. And those pieces were always developed to benefit something uh, that the artist needed or wanted to support their fans. So, for example... Uh, one was an author and she was using the proceeds for the jewelry pieces to donate to her local library. Uh, another one was for a road tour and another one was for uh, recording time in the studio. So each piece was not just benefiting the fan by having something special that the artist they loved helped to create, but it also went further into benefiting that fandom community.
0: That's incredible. And then out of the blue comes a call from CBS in 2014.
1: Exactly. And there was there was points in there where I was like, how did you guys even find me? Um and they had seen that that uh Clive Barker. There was other authors like uh Jacqueline Carey and Terry Goodkind, um, and uh and projects with different bands. I remember doing projects with like uh Ogre from Skinny Puppy. Um these these very rock and roll tattoo or or even horror kind of themed things repo the genetic opera is one of the ones that some of my oldest OG fans and I worked on together and uh, and that's how i know somebody has really followed Rockloaf since the beginning of my journey <laughs> those are the pieces that you look back at and you're like oh no those were those are so young and inexperienced <laughs> so not look um you know when your mom pulls out some really hideous sketch that you did when you were like ten, and she's like, "Look how great! Let's slap it on the refrigerator." Right, right. No. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah. So those were those initial steps in licensing, but at that point, I didn't know what licensing truly was because they were formalized and we had the proceeds uh, you know predetermined so we knew that that this much would go to cover the costs of the manufacture that the materials and and the metal you know the sterling it was always very much a sterling brand from the beginning so there was the high cost of the materials but then we always wanted a significant portion to be for whatever it was that the artist was dedicating it towards but then uh the the CBS project was really a new step towards formalizing first very formal contracts, royalties, uh, and the, the more complicated larger collection too. Previously, it was usually one special piece at a time, and this was a whole collection to uh, to plan. Packaging and marketing and uh, uh, this collaborative campaign—it's also the early days of social media. So how do you get it out to the world is very different than you would do it now. So those were the early days, and I do attribute CBS taking, you know, the risk on Allison because while it was rock live, it was pretty much a one-woman show. Because that opened the door to other licenses saying, well, if CBS trusts her, then, you know, and she did such a good job with that. Let's let's give her a shot. So that's how it started evolving into more of those household names. Uh, and now it's everything from Disney to Star Wars, the other star, uh, Star Wars, Pokemon, DC Comics, Marvel, Um Even some of our other fandoms, uh, such as Magic the Gathering and Dungeons and and Dragons, really, it crosses anything in the sci-fi, the fantasy, and the history worlds. Even earlier days, there was uh, Penny Dreadful on Showtime or uh, Outlander, Vikings on History Channel. So a lot that came from history and travel, but then we've taken a step further with star travel, (laughs) out of this world instead of back in time.
0: And I, I read on your website, on the Rock Love website, that you're working with all of these different properties, but will only create jewelry for properties that you're actually a fan of.
1: Yes, that's always been very important to me because to create jewelry that I'm a fan of means that I can think of things that a fellow fan would want to wear or that's special to them. Um, sometimes now it's uh, one of us of our team is extra passionate about something but if we're not fans of it we do not really go down that road because we won't be knowledgeable enough to speak from fan to fellow fan and truly capture the magic of that world Uh, one of the things we love to do is create articulations and every surface has some kind of special uh, detail so A lot of the times there are quotes or reveals, moments where things open or flip um, those surprise and delight moments. And so you really need to be an intimate fan to translate all of those magic moments and things that we love about that fandom, about that world. So we try to stick only to the things that we are personally passionate about, and we hope that that shines through to the piece that the fan is wearing.
0: And that's very different from how Star Trek licensing started, where they would just slap a sticker on just about anything in order to sell it under the Star Trek brand back in the seventies.
1: It's true. There are things that don't look like Star Trek items at all in in past merchandise, which is amazing. I, I think doesn't Star Trek have that famous uh, helmet, like the Spock, the Spock helmet? helmet? Yeah, yeah. And you're just like, what the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I've seen uh, what there was this great episode of, I think it was the, the you know, the like toys that made us or whatever it was. Um, uh, and it was charting much of the past Star Trek merchandise. And it was so interesting too, because um, this affected their general standards of royalty rates and licensing expectations because other much larger licenses They're far more formal and they require, you know, advances, um, which for people that are not in licensing industry, there's a lot of payments that you're promising because the, you know, it's still a business and they, um, they need to know that you're going to not only represent the fandom with love and integrity, but also be able to deliver on the business side because otherwise you're taking up space that another artist would love to be. So we always are trying to deliver both the business side and the integrity of design, uh, which is, you know, a challenge and something that we are always hoping to rise to that occasion. But Star Trek, I think has a history of being more open to, you know, (laughs) sometimes, uh maybe misguided merchandise i think <laughs> but uh but you know that that could have been a bit of the legacy because they were not specifically uh snobbish about what they were open to mm.
0: and they must be happy with it because this is what the 5th collection that just released is it been it is one of the longest standing uh licenses
1: that i've done for sure Um, At this point, we've done multiples. I worked with um, the prop master, uh, Jeff Lombardi for Picard, which was actually pieces, not designs inspired by, but actually making the props that were then sent to him, and his team, and then used in filming in Picard, which, by the way, I was like crying as I was watching that episode. My husband was videotaping it, and then I was sending it to my dad. I was like, look! Captain Picard was holding my jewelry I made that, and was like a very big moment for me because it was, it was like the fandom was crashing through the screen. The thing that was always uh, a, a role model, a person who was a role model, but a fantasy was suddenly real, and they were holding jewelry that I had made, and so it was a very unreal moment where. I was suddenly a part of the world that I had always been in love with and designing for. So to have Sir Patrick Stewart holding the jewelry that I had made and the, it was the Dodge and Soji Omega necklace that was so important to the, to the plot. It was like a character itself, uh, which was wild because I didn't know how integral it would be to the storyline when making it. There were other pieces that were not as well-featured, so we didn't end up uh, selling them. There were various rings that other people wore through that season. but uh, And now I actually have a new piece that I can't tell you what, but when season three comes out, be looking for jewelry, and hopefully it will get um, you know an important moment the way that Omega Necklace did uh, because it's another prop that I've created with, the uh, prop master and filming team that's being worn on screen. That's incredible. And then separately, there was the since we're counting now, I'm counting <laughs> the collection. Um, there was the uh, the Klingon pieces inspired by the when Star Trek Discovery launched. Uh, the new beautiful uh, intricate textures of the Klingon costuming. So there was a capsule collection devoted to that, and then uh, we did three women of Star Trek earrings um, that were homages to those seen on screen. So we had the Bajoran cuff earrings. There's a big turquoise kind of dangling uh, gold and silver hammered textured earring that Geenan wears, Uh, and then we also had the classic Yehura gold spirals. So those were three inspired by earrings seen on screen so it was a bit more of a, a like a casual cosplay so mm-hmm. you could embody those characters with the jewelry that they have worn and then the original I think it was the 2018 collection where we had the
0: trillions so 2018 2016 2016 would be the anniversary collection.
1: Yes. And there was the Trillion Collection. And that was actually the first time I ever got to truly formalize working with Geek back when Geek was. So that was even a step into retail for me as a uh, just a, an important step for a business, uh, a growing business. That was one of my like, most formative retail moments was getting to work with ThinkGeek and going into ThinkGeek stores. And I have photos still where I was, you know, in a ThinkGeek store finding Rock Love and being very excited about that's mine. I made that and taking pictures with it. Um, So that collection had the Deltas with uh, blue topaz, yellow citrine and red garnet. And then we had an exclusive uh, white CZ version that was with ThinkGeek as well. And that collection was very well loved, and that's what inspired this current Crystal Delta collection because we've had so many requests to bring that back, but we wanted to do a new silhouette, something that was sleek and minimalist, but could still allow you to represent your love of command or communication, engineering, science, medical, based on the color you wore, but still being a very sophisticated and understated
0: piece of Star Trek fandom jewelry. Yeah, I wanted to ask what inspired you to return to the Delta.
1: That's definitely an homage to the previous collection since we didn't want to re-release the exact same. I don't know if you can hear it, but somebody's going to warp speed outside my door. <laughs> Engage. Um, but uh There have been so many requests, but I do like to keep pieces limited edition because it really feels like a moment in time. It's, it's handcrafted. You know, we don't want to be making the same item for a really long span of time and then have it be, uh, it it loses some of the specialness, you know, when you get a piece in a certain time of your life or at a certain event, you know, the Star Trek mission con for the 50th anniversary, that was that was the first Star Trek event I had ever done, so we wanted to keep it as this capsule of time and do a slightly different silhouette, so that uh, it really was um, unique. And we're always looking to create something that is a bit different. And then revisiting the Vulcan script necklace. Uh, and expanding on that, that's for 2023. And again, it was a jumping point because it was a piece that was so well loved. And, you know, in that time, handcrafting yourself and in your home studio, there was such a limitation to the volume that I could even make. Um, so, and and there were so few people comparatively that had ever heard of Rock Love. So there's been so many new fans that have Expressed interest and wishing, oh, I wish I had known about Star Trek then. That now it feels like we can revisit something with a new twist, and um, and then expand upon it. Kind of meditate on other uh, languages from you know Romulan and Vulcan in addition, uh, and and uh, Klingon in addition to Vulcan.
0: You've done so many different things design wise with with the star trek pieces and it's it's so interesting to me like the the klingon capsule collection that you were talking about earlier it's it's textured and it's like i mean this in the best use of the word like chunky like it's big jewelry and then a lot of the stuff like the the vulcan script necklace just looks very delicate and there's this huge range and um i know that you've you've spoken other places about wanting to expand jewelry expand the market make sure that it's a gender inclusive item and i was just wondering if you'd speak a little more to that is that part of that decision making process for you yes that's
1: always been something that i've been passionate about i like to say that jewelry is for everybody and every body because jewelry is very much based on personal sense of style it really is not gendered at all. Um, you know it's just a matter of making sure that the sizes are expansive enough to fit everybody. So uh, for example, rock love we often are using 20 inch chains and then a lot of pieces have adjustability. so maybe it's a 18 inch to 20 inch or 20 inch to 24 inch, uh, especially depending on the fandom. Um, those that are a more gender neutral fandom we will include more sizes. Uh, and if the silhouette is more of a gender neutral or rock and roll kind of, like you said, chunky silhouette, which is personally what I tend to wear. I wear the biggest, most obnoxious pieces that I've made. It's, it's like I, you know, like a motorcycle version, but fandom with, you know, (laughs) massive Boba Fett and massive, uh, ring of here scene and across the various video games and series and films. Um, so for me, uh. That's my own um, personal uh, direction of style, too. I want those big kind of more, quote, masculine pieces. So we we prefer not to identify anything as um, men's or women's jewelry, because it really just matters about your personal sense of style and uh, the um, inclusivity of the sizing. We're always trying to expand on that, too, because when a piece is launched, if customers are requesting it larger or smaller, because sometimes, you know, somebody is very petite and they only can wear size three or four rings. And, uh, you know, there's there's such a wide range in shape for all of us. Uh, So we try to expand. As uh, something is successful, it's difficult because lost wax casting—you're making molds of every single size. It's not something that we just start slapping on a bigger band. Um, so we have to, you know, be strategic about it because we're a small independent company, and it's it's costly to create so many pieces and then stock so many pieces. Um, but yes, we're always looking to invite people to just wear whatever they love. And I think jewelry is such a facilitator towards uh, just a beautiful idic of style, you know, infinite diversity and infinite combinations of fashion, of styling,
0: of layering. Do you find, do you run into like roadblocks or, or pushback at all, especially with with licenses, trying to do more expansive sizing or more expansive designs?
1: For our own website on rockloaf.com, we're pretty unlimited by licenses. When we're working with another retailer or creating an exclusive for an official store gear store, uh, sometimes they don't want to stock as much, um, but we're always pushing for inclusivity. So some of the times we're just sacrificing our own needs to encourage uh, a partner to Uh, stock sizes appropriately you know we're always saying a size five through ten is where you should be starting not a size seven eight nine or six seven eight you know which are the standard you know feminine identifying sizes are six seven and eight uh and so we're always pushing for a large range of sizes we don't really make much that would be a you know 16 inch necklace uh um 16 and 18 tend to be, again, more like feminine skewing. But we like to start at 20, 20 is our kind of happy home base. And a a fan is always invited to change the chain on something, you know, to make it more comfortable to them and their body. Because there's also people that have not only skin sensitivities, but uh, tactile sensitivities. You know, maybe it is something that bothers them on their body and they prefer swapping it to leather or a ribbon or a much longer chain um so that's the kind of thing that while we're officially licensed and we're not really allowed to swap things um because it needs to be fair and the product that's approved and you know we don't want to open the door to kind of preferential treatment we want everybody to have the exact same opportunities and experiences of what they can get from our brand um But we always are encouraging customers that if they would feel more comfortable uh, with something slightly different, they are welcome to DIY it or uh, have a local jeweler help them facilitate that change. What's most important is that it feels good on their body and it feels good to them because our jewelry is such an expression of ourselves. It's more like a tattoo than clothing because you can wear jewelry every single day, not even take it off. And nobody bats an eye. You wear the same T-shirt for a week in a row and people are starting to question your hygiene. <laughs> you know, So jewelry is really a part of our body. So it's so important that it's comfortable to you and it's expressing who you
0: are. Speaking to that expression, it seems like CBS gives you pretty free reign in terms of design. Would you say so?
1: They've been wonderful. They really have never uh, given a, a decline or push back on anything if I'm passionate about it they have always been um, open to whatever it is I want to design. there's so many pieces that I would like to would like to do. There was a slowdown because of course CBS and Viacom merge now it's paramount. So on the licensing industry side there was some time that we had to wait for them to you know restructure. Um so now that just means I have a backlog of all kinds of ideas the the crystal deltas were almost low hanging fruit because they're just classic and simple and sophisticated but they're not wildly uh you know creative in some kind of creature or artifact kind of way uh so now all of those more out there ideas have been percolating and I can't wait to start to uh dive into those new designs
0: Oh that's exciting. I'm wondering how different it is when you're working on pieces for the show like the omega necklace. Did they come to you and say we have this idea, what can you do with it or Yes, yes, when it is um the
1: props department, they have a very specific idea and usually they have pre-designed the uh, vision because it's going with an entire story, you know, it might be referencing something else that I I don't know, you know, maybe something plot driven, maybe something aesthetic, maybe it's a throwback to some something else that we're going to see somewhere else. So uh, for that one, it is much more me following their interpretation, and then trying to make the changes or tweaks that make it feasible, because they're usually showing a render, um, some kind of, of sketch that is the initial idea and then I'm suggesting jewelry techniques or maybe um, specific styles of chain or clasps that can uh, create the desired effect. So um, I still have my hand in it, but their initial direction is, is coming from their creative minds. That's pretty great. I love it. I would love to do so many more props. The only downside to prop development is that it's so fast. You're working media. So uh, the turnaround time is mere weeks. And it's always so exciting, but it's a matter of, you know, hey, can we have this? And can we have it yesterday? And you're like, oh, this is such an exciting uh, opportunity. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Oh my God. Now I have to sit down and figure out how to make this in like moments
0: notice. I imagine that's even more stressful when you're handcrafting it. It is.
1: But the good thing is, Fortunately, being a licensee, they have um, allowed us to then use that as an opportunity to develop against what we'll be able to launch later for the fans. So we get to make that fan version exactly the same way as what we made for screen. So it's kind of doing double duty. We're doing the product development, but just really condensing it into a very stressful short amount of time. (laughs) Um, And then when the show airs, we're like, oh, we've already done all of the work. Um, And instead of, you know, a four-month lead time that it usually takes for back and forth approvals and sampling and this and that, instead, it was a hectic three weeks. And uh, now we've got something that is perfectly as seen on and the legitimacy of This is not just a replica inspired by something seen on. This is literally what you're seeing, just another one. And when filming, you're never really making just one. You don't make one Omega necklace that Sir Patrick Stewart might drop or, (laughs) you know, gets broken during filming in action sequences. You're usually making like six samples. So when you're seeing something on screen, it's not even usually the one and only Anyway, so, you know, maybe there's six that were used for filming and you've got number seven.
0: And then you also have enough lead time to produce them. Yes,
1: which is very exciting. Our pieces usually take between eight to 12 weeks to handcraft because everything about lost wax casting is by hand. It's usually just lost wax casting alone is about a 12 step process. We're often now using CAD instead of hand sculpting. Earlier days, it was a lot of hand sculpting. But as we started getting more involved with character likeness, for example, Pokemon, uh, there are so many tweaks to perfectly represent that character accurately that you can't really just hand carve it over and over and over again. There's too much room for error, just human touch error when you're hand sculpting. So as the industry has developed and technology has developed, we've started doing more with CAD. And um, which is the computer-assisted design in things like ZBrush and Rhino, and then other touches that are fabrication, which is the traditional technique using uh, metalwork and fabrication and soldering and torches. And then we do a lot with lapidary. So a lot of these crystals are custom faceted and cut to create these really unique shapes. And that itself is its own technique uh, and specialty. So, all of these elements are all high hand touch and have craftsmen involved. And at this point, since we are now finally out of my house and out of my local post office, uh, we work not only as our team, all woman owned and operated, but with a casting house in Thailand that is also all woman run, family owned business. So, we've kept it in the female fronted industry. Uh And all artisans that are you know hand crafting hand painting enamel hand setting crystals um each step of the way, so the quality and integrity of each piece is just paramount to us um from initial sketch and concept to you know the the still limited quantity that we uh make and um, while it's larger than what we could do. When it was just me in 2014, it's still always with an eye to limited edition and, uh, you know, a covetability that feels truly special because there are not, you know, 20,000 of them in the industry uh, being pumped out on Amazon and made in China.
0: And even with all the growth that the company has had, all of the the new license deals since since the initial Star Trek one in 2014, you're still a small team.
1: Yes. So we are almost embarrassingly small. There's about seven women on the team that are working hard all day, every day, um, in our offices. And we're all remote. So we're I'm the Lonesy onesie in New York. And then we have team that is across the West Coast and even up in Canada. Um, and then uh, and then there's the casting house, which is the female run. They do uh, with us the actual casting and stone setting and uh, the precious metal plating, so the gold plating. Um, We do our packaging design. uh, And then um, we have a warehouse that was also female founded uh, in Washington. And so um, all of these are, again, just uh, as we're able to expand because it's not feasible for us to get anything done if we were also doing all of the packing and shipping. Did that Mm -hmm. for many years. Um, (laughs) The holidays were always uh, terrifying (laughs) and sleepless. But we're still trying to make sure that we are uh, supporting women and women-owned businesses in as much uh, capacity as we can.
0: Do you have a favorite piece you've created for any Star Trek collection? That's definitely a tough
1: question um, because I will always love the original docking ring because it was one of the very first pieces that articulated for all of Rock And then that started the trend of articulations that have become far more sophisticated and complex now. uh, And so I certainly want to revisit uh, that kind of, Uh, mechanics in future Star Trek pieces. Um, But that one is always special because it feels like it established a style for Rock Love before I was really cognizant of what that meant. Uh, So it's something that in hindsight I can recognize, but in the moment I I definitely didn't um, realize how impactful that piece would be to me as a designer and what, what my, design identity would evolve into
0: well you've shared so much about your journey and your work what advice would you give to other artisans other independent creators who are curious about getting into working with licensors
1: there are lots of good resources online uh, for licensing education um, Licensing Global is uh, an entire site and source. There's a licensing industry magazine and even a licensing university, which is a online program where you can learn all different types of licensing, both licensor and licensee. So being somebody that works for these franchises or somebody who is creating the official merchandise. Um, One thing that I would also recommend is Not to always assume that you have to create a a line, a new line from scratch, because there are some very talented uh, creators and companies that are desperately in need of um, competent and creative and hardworking people. Me, I spent a lot of years doing this by myself. And it wasn't until I started working with these very talented, fabulous uh, women that that helped me expand this company. If not for adding and trusting and delegating to that team, I don't think that I would be creating pieces for for Disney and Star Wars. Uh, So there's learning about licensing and being involved, but also being open to where that career path might take you. It might be that you are the CEO of your own company and creating your own brand. Or maybe you're merging just like Rock Love and that DNA of collaboration. Maybe you're merging with another creator or existing company to help bring your creativity to elevate them to the next level so that together you can really take uh, the the company and their creative energy forward. So always being open to where that path might take you. I started in jewelry, never imagining that I would be designing for the biggest licenses in the industry. It just was one step in front of the other. And then I was there. And, uh, but a huge part of that success was learning that I needed to be open to a team and then finding those amazing people that could help, help me on that journey. So be open to whatever path you might end up having unravel in front of you and also be open to being a team.
0: That's very Star Trek.
1: <laughs> it's true. <laughs> As I was saying, and I was thinking like, you know what? Your captain is very important, but you are nothing without your crew. Mm.
0: Well, is there is there anything else that I, I didn't ask you about that you'd like to share about you or Star Trek or Rock Love or anything? I think I've, I think
1: I've uh, dropped all of the the nuggets of wh- whether I should have or not. Uh, <laughs> so definitely keep an eye on uh, we're at rock love jewelry across all social platforms. And I have no chill and I will absolutely be sharing uh, whatever I can about the uh, next Picard uh, season jewelry item. As soon as we see it on screen, um, the, the, next collection launches, uh, which I'm so excited to get more out there and creative for the future for um for artifacts and characters, but also really exploring these iconic languages of the Star Trek universe. And um yes, just looking forward to all of the potential Uh, as the company grows and being able to bring more pieces to my fellow Star Trek fans.
0: And that um, artifacts and languages that launches next year?
1: Yeah, within 2023 is the goal. Uh, Some of it is more done than others. Some of them are in earlier stages of development. And um, yeah, then I've got a long list of hopes and dreams for after these current uh, capsules have um, been sculpted and are released.
0: And the Crystal Delta collection is available now, currently, as we speak? Yes,
1: the Crystal Delta, it's a ring, earring, and necklace set in the choices of Uh, red, yellow, and blue uh, cubic zirconia crystals. And they're silver-backed, so they are beautifully reflective, like mirrored from within. And those are currently available on rocklove.com. So perfect for all of the Trekkies in your holiday list and uh, allow you to represent whatever is your um, your particular command or engineering or medical passions. And then, um, if there is, uh, anything that in particular you imagine, uh, I'm always open to, um, to ideas. I am just always excited to talk about Star Trek. So that is, uh, us on social. And, um, again, just, it's always thrilling to talk
0: about my favorite childhood fandom. So thank you for having me. Of course. And these are the pieces that you brought to New York Comic-Con that I, I got a sneak peek of. That only you saw that
1: nobody else got to see. Yes. So it was, it was technically there at Comic-Con in secret. Um,
0: it was very difficult for me to not walk away with them.
1: <laughs> weaved, weaved at you and then wouldn't let anybody else see. Yes. And they have even new beautiful packaging uh, to go with the next the next era of Star Trek by Rock Love Jewelry. So yeah. Uh, it's they are amazing. absolutely gorgeous. Thank you. Thank you. So yeah, very excited that after that little time of break during uh, during the restructure as it now becomes paramount, um, we are embarking on a new a new era of the jewelry collections.
0: Awesome. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me about it. Thank you so much. Rocklove's Crystal Delta collection and several other Star Trek pieces are available at rocklove.com and in the Star Trek shop. To reach Women at Warp, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Women at Warp, or send us an email to crew at womenatwarp.com. Thanks so much for listening.